So we're in the book of Job, chapter 1. I'm just going to finish up the section uh, from uh, that we didn't get to uh, last week in this conversation between Satan and God. Of course, uh, we want to get back to uh, this, this question that... Uh, or the, the response of Satan to God. Uh, let, let's start in verse 9. It says, Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made a hedge, you've, haven't you made a hedge around him, around all of his household and everything he has on every side? And you've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hands and touch everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has done is in your power. Just don't lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord um, and wanted to get back and, and pick up one thought. And uh, Satan uses some argumentation here. And, um, and I think it's, it's a point that, uh, Andy, uh, you mentioned last week, which was, of course, it's easy. You know, um, you... Satan has an assumption here that it's easy to do right if you don't face any conflict, if you don't face any opposition. And there is some general truth to that. But I want to talk about something that perhaps is, is there anything logically incorrect about that assumption? Obviously, my conclusion is yes, but maybe more specifically, what is logically incorrect about that assumption? Okay. Uh, all right. All right. So, uh, I, I agree, guy. I, I think sometimes we look at the people who have it going easy, uh, and they sometimes can be the worst of uh, th- their behavior can be among the worst. And and they have opportunity. They have all sorts of things available to them, and it's not something that prevents people from being. Uh, for behaving improperly, uh, you look at people who have um, they they, uh, they win the lottery, right? And and lottery winners that they're poor, they're in jail, or they're dead within like six months. It seems like uh, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, they they've had all this this blessing, uh, but what what have they what have they gotten? In, in addition to being blessed, what have they gotten? Right, they've gotten availability. They've gotten the opportunity to do things that they maybe couldn't have done before simply because they couldn't afford it. So uh, people who are extremely secure in things sometimes show worse behavior. So, so Satan's assumption is not necessarily correct. There's some truth to it. That that sometimes it's easier if God makes everything easier. So sometimes God challenges us. Um, now, in, staying right here in this question, what theological question that that people have that is answered here, or at least asked or addressed in some some way, shape, or form? What theological question that people have is a serious question. All right. Okay. Uh, so uh, Becky's right. I, I think the the idea of um, 
why do good things, in, in other words, why do good things happen to bad people and vice versa? Why do bad things happen to good people? That is one of the most basic questions, and it's used to disprove God. And um, this exchange gives us access to information that, that we don't have. And uh, it's interesting. Here, now, Job is not the, the material is from a time period. It's not the, the beginning of the earth, but the, the actual writing of the book. This is the first book, or believed to be the first book, of our Bible ever written. And it's interesting that in the opening dialogues of this book, we are addressing one of man's most fundamental doctrinal questions. This is not just a book about human suffering, but this is a very doctrinal book. And we saw the theology of Satan and, and things. And so now we're looking at more in-depth doctrine. Um, so uh, the answer is more than God did it or Satan did it or whatever. There's a lot of questions. So, so God allowed it, but why now did God allow suffering? What, what's going on? Why did God allow suffering? Okay, so, so the first one is then for, for a lesson for us to have, correct? Uh, we have access now, and this is, gives us explanation that they didn't have, uh, and the account is explanation of, of why things happen or where things come from. Why else? Okay, so, and I think that is, uh, that is a, a major part of things. I, I think that is correct. I think it has to do with developing Job. When we, we look at Job and say, well, look at the patience of Job. And, and it's, it's easy to kind of think, here's Job, he's an older man, and, and he's good to go. And, and, and this whole time, he's, God is talking, have you considered my great, wonderful person, Job? But Job is not done on his own journey. Uh, it would be easy for us to think that Job has arrived, but God is looking at it differently. And he's going to use Job not just to be an illustration to us, but he's going to uh, you know, use Job and say, Job, you, you've got more to go. And we see that at the end of the, you know, this whole process is going to bring God and, and Job closer uh, together. And, and doctrinally, he's going to understand more. Uh, he has to develop his patience and his character as well. So I want to get into the section that talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the fall of Job. Uh, so we're beginning here now in uh, chapter uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came from, God, uh, from Job and said, the ox, Oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. And indeed they have killed the servants at the edge of the sword, and I have alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came in and said, <clears throat> The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, and yes, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, this is the first, uh, let's look at the first beginning, the first phase of Job's fall. Now, uh, we, we first drawn to, what, what's your attention drawn to? Is there anything strange about the telling of the story? Anything at all? Yeah. All right, so, so all these servants, <laughs> it's like, here we're all coming in the same thing. And, and so uh, uh, that seems, some people say, well, this is probably not a real story. It seems too convenient that all these things happen on the same exact point in time. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so so perhaps that's an illustration that these things were divinely going on and, and not just random. That's that's possible. Uh, there's another thing to look at, and that is to to look at the geography. Now we don't don't know a lot about this, but we do know a few facts from this. First of all, we know who the Chaldeans are. They're they're one of the later groups. The third loss is the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans, uh, they are they would be a, a group of people that um, they're associated with, not directly, but in the same area as the Assyrians and Babylonians and various things like that. They're, they're connected to them. Um, and they would live, they would be in the area of what we would call Kuwait today. It's not too far from, from Baghdad, maybe 100 or 200 miles, whatever, from, from Baghdad on the north of the Persian Gulf. But now the Sabaeans are, uh, are a different group. Now, here's a problem, is that there are two groups of Sabaeans, um, and it's because there are two great-grandsons of Noah that are named Seba or Sheba. And one was a descendant of Ham. He lived in the south, the very, very south of, uh, of Saudi Arabia, what we would call Yemen. The, the nation of Yemen would be where they lived. Uh, there's another group of Sabaeans that lived over a little bit east of there in what we would call like um, uh, uh, Qatar or uh, like right next to that uh, is the United Arab Emirates in that area. And so that's on the Persian Gulf as well, but on the central to southern part. So that's a couple hundred miles away from, that's probably, I think, that's more likely to be um, the, the group of Sabaeans. But either way, we're talking about groups of people separated over a distance because you can't have that many camels and that many donkeys and that many oxen all grazing in the same area, right? right. Okay, so, <clears throat> so it's probably, it seems unlikely that just based on the, the, the tragedies and traumas, and that they're even in a different location from where the sons live, which was, we, we set up kind of uh, maybe more between Baghdad and uh, Jerusalem in that area. <clears throat> so uh, the, it seems, I mean, uh, obviously God could have arranged it this way, that, you know, right on the face of it, that they all walk in, at the same time while the other is still speaking, or is that a function of their way of storytelling to compress the details uh, into, a sh into one short abbreviated narrative? And, and so and either way, it doesn't change the story. Um, just something to look at. Anyway, 
I want to get more to the meat of this than, uh, than look at those kind of details. Uh, there's, there's all these losses that we look at. Um, and then the, the, the fourth one concluding in this phase, the loss of children. is the, the, We look at the, the, the winds blowing the house down. And it, it's supernatural. It's, it's not ordinary what happens. But I want to look at Job's response to it because I think that's where we're going to get some, some meat here and then get into Job's response in the, in the next chapter to the next phase. What is his response? Because this is what's important. Okay, he's recognizing you know, where he comes from. That's important. I want to look at the order because I think the order is important for us to look at. Okay, he tears his robe. And shaves his head. Okay, so let's stop there for just a moment. Uh, what is tearing of robe? What's that significant of? Mourning, a grieving, right, correct. Um, and uh, have you ever tried to tear your clothes? Uh, this isn't just, just a person in uh, sporadic or some spontaneous grief. This is a, this is a formal type of grieving. You, you don't just... You know, you don't just tear your clothes. I mean, they're, they're not made that way. If you have woven linen like they, they had back then, it's even harder to tear your clothes. So, uh, so you know, try tearing a wool blanket or something. You know, it, it's, it's not that easy. So, uh, so this was a formal thing. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't just a man in outrage. Now, the shaving of hair. What, what's interesting about the shaving of hair? It, it, again, it's, it, it's a little bit more deliberate, isn't it? Right. Uh, it, it has to do with their grief. Um, and specifically, the shaving of the hair was something done at the end of a fast. That was, it was not done spontaneously. It's like we read about Paul keeping a fast and the shaving of the head was done at the end of it, not at the beginning. So we, we could be talking... It reads, again, like it's all compressed into one, you know... Boom, well, like almost in the same 10 minutes that, that uh, here we have, uh, the, they all come in and they line up, say their story, and Job gets up, shaves, uh, rips his robes and starts grieving and saying all this stuff, whereas it's even possible that the, there was a 40-day grieving period at, at the end of which he shaves his head, uh, as Paul did. He was keeping a vow and then shaved his head, and then worships. That makes it a little different. Does that, doesn't that feel a little bit different? It feels a little bit more deliberate. Uh, and why, why if, that, if that's the case, I'm not saying it's absolute, but if that's the case, why is that important? All right. That's absolutely right. We're not talking about what his initial response is, right? We, we're, the way we read the story, it's like he was in absolute total possession of himself from the moment that that this thing happens, like like he was cool, calm, and collected, or or, or almost like he was cool, calm, and collected in an outraged way because we get this tearing of the robe, and that seems very violent, and you know it's just like we have this mix of things that don't really make sense when we, but when we start breaking it down, yeah. Okay, it's possible when we read the story. That's that's true. 
it's possible that we can look at this as something that happened immediately. It, it doesn't change the story. It, we would still be expected not to do something and, and say something against God. That's, that's absolutely true, Dave. Uh, <clears throat> but I want to look at something because I think this is, is, is significant. Look at the way God deals with grief. Um, you know, John, or, or Jesus, excuse me, comes and he, he talks to uh, Mary and Martha after they've, after they've lost Lazarus. And you, and you look at how he addresses them, and, and specifically Mary comes up and says, you know, if, my, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and you know what Jesus' response is? He doesn't have one. He doesn't correct her and say, now, now Mary, you're doctrinally incorrect. Here's the, here's the real... He doesn't address her in that way because she's grieving. And I think that the story of Job likely leaves out the immediate response. What he is dealing with and what Job gives us is the account of his full response. You know, the immediate grief might have still been there. Yeah. Okay. I think that's true, Becky, is that um, uh, Psalms goes into, like, right, like you say, like Psalms goes into complaints, right, um, of, of God. Why God? Why? And uh, I think it's, 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 okay. it's how you do it, right? Uh, and that's important to, to note what, what this summarizes in all these things, Job did not sin with his mouth. It's, it's okay to to ask God why, and I don't understand God, and this feels unfair, God, and, and to explain yourself that way without crossing the line and saying, listen, God, you're wrong. Uh, and Job, Job doesn't cross that line. <clears throat> so... Uh, Sometimes you have to remind yourself of what is true, even if you're not feeling it. And that might be, I think, this response that Job has. You know, I don't really feel it, but I'm, I know this to be true in my mind, that, that uh, God, you know, but I, I like what says here, he gets up and worships. Why does that sound weird to you? Okay, because this is presented in this thing where it's happened all immediately. It, it's happened all immediately, and we, we're like, I don't, I don't think I'd respond that way. Now, maybe I would have trouble even still 40 days later, you know, after grief, you know. But I'd at least be a little bit more calm and, you know, not in my... I'd be more in my right mind at least given some time to grieve and, and to try to do something than, than in the immediate moment. Uh, and he fell. He fell down and worshipped. Okay, it doesn't mean happiness, Cassie. Right? Uh, this is not a synonym for uh, for singing. Right? You can worship. You can bow. You can you can be reverent, um, and, and that's the concept of you know directing prayer to God that. In a, in a reverential way. That's worship. Uh, now, this is, however, like we said, we don't have all the access to the information. So look at verse 16. What is their response? What's their interpretation? Ah, this came from heaven. 
Right? That, that's the way this looks like. It, this came from heaven. Fire came down from heaven. Here's a guy. He doesn't know everything we know. This book wasn't written for him. He only knows what he can see. So this servant can see fire unnaturally coming down and consuming animals. Or whatever. It's like, here, you've lost it. Boom, it's gone. So, uh, what do we do? Fire came down from heaven. He doesn't know the full story behind the conversation and where this is coming from. So that's, I think, important. They don't have access to information like we do. So I'm going to get into this next chapter because I think that is going to to add some to the conversation. Again, there was a day, verse 1, when the sons of God came in to present themselves before God and Satan comes in among them to present himself before the Lord uh, so, so again, just to interrupt there, uh, the same thing. Satan doesn't come when he wants. He comes on appointment. And we talked about that. Um, and the Lord said to Satan, where are you coming from? Satan answered the Lord, said from going to and fro on the earth, walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Still holds fast to his integrity, though you incited me against him to destroy, me without, destroy him without a cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, sure. Everything a man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to his face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Just spare his life. Limits. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the head to the foot, and he took for himself a, a potsherd with which to scrape himself, and he sat in the midst of the ashes. When his wife said to him, You still hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept his adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now this is interesting. Job seems to be incorrect. He's made the same conclusion, right, here as we finished, that the the guy, the, the servant did, that this comes directly from God. But even in the way he attributes it, though he's incorrect, he's still not sinning against God. Because he's still saying, listen, I'm I'm still not going to blame God. Even if it comes from God, I'm not blaming him. I don't know why he would do this or what. I don't understand it. But God allows good things to happen. And God allows bad things to happen. And this is the elemental principle. We talked about how doctrinally correct this is. God allows the, the rain and the sun to, to, to come on the just and the unjust. That's a New Testament principle. We think of that as an advanced New Testament principle, but here is it, it is in the, in the second chapter of our first book of the Bible. Um, so so I, I like this beginning because it's the same conversation. And... Uh, you notice the repetition of language. Oh, where you come from? Uh, going back and forth on the earth. Have you noticed Job? I love this, but I want to get into this a little bit because there is something in here. This is so fun. To me, I, I see the humor in this conversation. Now, maybe it's not there and I'm just imagining it. But this is, to me, God taking a victory lap. He gambled on Job and he won. So Satan comes in. He's like, oh. Say, Satan, where have you been the last little bit? Haven't seen you in a while. I've been around, you know, I've been out on the earth. Oh, really? 
Have you uh, seen some guy named Job, by the way? You know, right? Yeah. Oh, really? So, so uh, you took everything he had from him? Did it work? How did that work out for you? And not so well. Not so well, did it? Did, did he give up his integrity? Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't give up his integrity? Hmm. Interesting. I, I think one of us bet money here that, that, that he wasn't going to do that. I wonder which one of us that was. How's that working out for you? He's, he's still an upright guy? Oh. Hmm. So, so you took everything he has from him. Which I, you incited me. Now this is not God blaming Satan for making him do it. You know, the devil made me do it. This is saying, you're the one that, that stirred me up to, to this contest. And I let you do it. And he's still held fast to his integrity. Ah, uh, but Satan's not done. Satan is very confident in himself. Yeah, 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 but you, that didn't count. What do you mean it didn't count? Well, you, you limited me. If you would have let me touch him physically, if you would have let me hurt him, I would have won. Double or nothing. Okay. That's how confident I am. Double or nothing. And so we see his confidence. He's sure of his ability. He's going to be a double loser in this contest. So the final downfall is... Job's health. Now, here's a question. Which one to you is worse? Which one is worse? Okay. I agree with you, Amanda. I'm looking at this and I'm saying I would rather be sick or in pain or whatever than have my kids hurt. And to lose your kids? Yeah. Right on the face of it. That's the way I think. Yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe the way Satan's looking at it is he got him close but couldn't couldn't quite get him over the edge. That could be very well be. He's like, if you'd have just let me a little bit more, I almost had him. And I'm thinking, if if you couldn't get him at the kids, you're not going to get him at health. That's that's. The way I react, but, but Satan again looks at things a little bit differently. Uh, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I have never, that is a, a that's a really interesting observation, Chad. I've never thought of it that way before, but. Uh, you're right, we do project ourselves on the way other people do things and on their logic. And so it's Satan is not a perfect being and he seems to have projected his logic the way he thinks onto, onto Job. Satan is someone, like you say, that, that is ultimately only interested in his own self. And so he would not necessarily think that the strongest thing... Uh, or impulse is what happens to other people because he doesn't care about other people. Uh, that, that, that's a really good observation. Um, so I want to look at, from not from Satan's perspective, but I want to look at this from a person's perspective <clears throat> because I think there's some practical things here that 
maybe argue against the way we think a little bit in terms of, obviously, the most significant thing that has happened here is the loss of children. That's clearly the strongest thing and the greatest loss. But it's not necessarily the greatest impulse. I, I think Satan is correct in, in one way. Uh, I don't know, how many of you have dealt with significant pain? Yeah, I, I don't hold myself up as a, as a person who has dealt with incredible pain, but I've dealt with pain. Uh, so I can only speak from my own experience. I've had, I've had a back spasm, uh, actually a couple times, but one really bad. Uh, I've had a torn rotator cuff. Uh, that was incredible. Um, and, I, and I get migraines on a regular basis. Um, and when I, get, when I get them, they're typically a couple of days in a row. And, uh, and the most recent of these you, uh, happened probably about three weeks ago or so. And I had about three days in a row, maybe a little bit longer than that now, but uh, I had about three days in a row where I, they, they came and went and just, you know, there would be like a brief, it, it was worse than it's been in some time. And I, I was about, I, I couldn't even come into work. I, you know, I would get brief relief from it with, with medicine and then I was basically taking as hot a shower just to, to loosen up my neck muscles and, and to try to get myself comfortable enough where I could get like an hour and a half sleep before it would return and I'd wake up in intense pain. And again, I, I know that there are people that deal with things that are a lot worse than that. So, uh, but this is just my experience. And I, I'm telling you, even from that, here I am, I'm, I'm sitting in the, in the bathroom at 2 o'clock in the morning and I know I'm, I've just taken pain reliever at 12 just to try to get myself to sleep. And I'm looking at the bottle of Tylenol and, and I'm, I'm thinking... Hmm. And, and I know I can't. I know I can't, but it, it, the thought's in my head. And, and that's just a bottle of Tylenol, and that's just my pain. That, that, that's not incredible pain. You know, that's not level 10 pain, you know, in terms of, of, of what some people deal with. In, intense pain makes you think differently, and you start thinking about things that, that you wouldn't think about. And that's why I'm saying... It might not be as bad as kids, losing your kids, in terms of the significance of it, but it's, it's worse in terms of the impulse, the, 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 the focusing of your thought on something. Uh, it is worse in that sense. Uh, so health is, is uh, much, much more of a, a stimulus. Um, <clears throat> and so what is he doing? Okay, he's scraping with a pot. Why is he doing that? Okay, he's got wounds and he's trying to, 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 you know, it's like, have you ever, you had a blister and you're like, oh, this is annoying and, and it hurts and I'm just going to pop it and then I can get on my day, pop it and wrap it and hope it heals, right? It still hurts, but it won't be as bad, right? That's basically, think of this as a big blister. It, yeah. Yes. Okay, they go inside. That's true. Boils, these, these kind of boils, if you've had a boil, they, they're inside. They're not just on the outside. They, they go in. So he's, he's digging it out. Oh, my goodness, that hurts just thinking about it. Uh, and, and, the, and what else is he doing? Ashes. That's right, ashes. Uh, what is the significance of ashes? Okay, first of all, it's, um, it, it's the, 
it's a symbol of mourning. They did that with dirt, dust, ashes, right? Uh, it's a sign of grief. Comfort? No. Actually, it's not comfort. Uh, it's much the opposite. Um, so, so ashes is uh, alkaline. Uh, I don't know if you've... We, I, I've, if you've done a little concrete... I did a little concrete work last year. I know some of you <laughs> deal with it a lot more than me. You get a cut, uh, and then you get that stuff in you. Um, so so uh, what we call uh, Portland cement is uh, made from, it has a lot of uh, burnt limestone, I think is how they make it. And it has a pH that's very similar to ash. It's not made with ash. Old, 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 like, like centuries and old concrete actually had ash in it. Uh, and... And you get that in there, and it actually kind of stings, and that's just a little cut. Uh, so to have ash on your on open wounds like that would be actually incredibly painful. But what it did was it, it cauterizes uh, an open wound a little bit, kind of um, congeals the blood, so it's, it's not a running uh, wound. But what we have here is not a natural thing. This is going on. We kind of look at Job in phases, like he's, he has the first set of bad things that happened, uh, then there's the, the health thing that happens, and then we move on to the conversation section. That's the way we think about it, right? And, and I think that's natural because he stops talking about everything. But I want you to notice how Job progresses, right? What's the, the state when Job comes? Job, is, Job has got the wound still, doesn't he? Correct. They, 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 they're disgusted. His friends are disgusted. But notice the type of conversation that they're having. What is the, the, the type of conversation that Job's friends have all throughout the book of Job? Repent. Right? The, the assumption of Job's friends tells us that he is dealing with his health issues for however long this conversation goes on. Months? Years? I don't know. Because their point is, if you just repent, God will fix it. You've done something wrong, you haven't repented, so you continue to suffer. Job's boils, he, he can do what he wants. He can, he can heal it, he can scrape it, he can put ash on it, and Satan says, all right, here, try another round. Try another round, have a little bit more. You're not getting rid of this. And God is allowing it. Uh, he's got him on his feet, on his. Uh, 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 he can't sit down, he can't lay down, he can't stand up, he can't find a comfortable position. He's incredibly miserable, and this will take a toll. And guys, we're guys. We think about one one thing at once, don't we? It, it, we think, you know, it, it, from a guy's perspective. Read this from a guy's perspective. Yes. The worst thing that happened to Job was the loss of his children. But he's past that now because he's in personal pain. And he can only stand one strong stimulus at a time. That's what we do. You, you come, I come home from work. If, if, if I've been busy in the sense that something is very strong in my mind and, and requires me to think about it, uh, then I haven't thought about anything. Did you remember to do that? It completely slipped my mind. Sorry. Wasn't thinking about it. I can only think about one thing at once. Girls don't have that. Girls can think about lots of things. That's, that's why you know, we, we go, uh, what's going on Friday? 
Well, they've been doing this, that, and the other, and they're still remembering what we have to do on Friday. Because they can, they can, women can, so, so we, can't, we can't do that. To Job, this was absolutely in the back, background. Yes, he felt sad, but he's, this is Satan's assumption. And we're almost done here. I want to talk about Satan's shrewdness. Satan's shrewdness, what was he allowed to take? Specifically, what was he allowed to take? Everything except what? So he was allowed to take everything except his life. Did Satan take everything? Nope. What did he leave him? His wife. Why? Okay, she was a negative influence. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and I want to look at things, and I want to say this very specifically, because if we try to summarize what Job says to his wife, we're going to summarize it incorrectly. Okay? And we're going to draw some wrong conclusions if we're not very cautious about what Job said to his wife. What did he say to his wife? Okay, Job was disapproving of her behavior and what she said. We got that? Job said specifically, you speak as one of the foolish woman speaks. First of all, did he accuse her of being foolish? No. He didn't. Did he accuse her of being one of the foolish women? No, he did not. He accused her of engaging in an act that was similar to what he expected of foolish women that was in their neighborhood or, I don't know, that he knew. A gaggle of girls up the street, I don't know. But what he is specifically telling her is, this is behavior that I don't expect from you. I've come to expect a different behavior from you and this is, this is the way of talking that those women out there talk. I don't expect that of you. So it tells me that that was not her common behavior. All right? Um, and, and, and so I, I think that's, that's important to understand. Uh, he's got this, this pattern of behavior. And I think it's important. He is her rock, even, even at this moment in time. He's deliberate in this. And it goes all the way back to his first response. His first response and his second response. They both conclude the same way. He didn't sin with his mouth. Uh, but, but we see the same thing. That we see the reverence for God. Don't, don't dare. Don't, don't go there. And it tells me it's just like the sacrifice. We go back to the sacrificing, right? Uh, they might have been and said something that wasn't reverent to God. So I'm going to offer a sacrifice. He, he wanted to make sure. And because he had that habit, he didn't, he didn't ever go. So he's got to be her, her rock. Elihu comes at the end of this book. He talks to the three friends, corrects them. He corrects Job. And he never corrects Job's wife. Notice that? What's her position? Okay, she suffered everything 
she's another well, not everything, but she's had everything taken away too, hasn't she? She's lost everything. What's different? Okay, she hasn't had the physical pain, but what has she done? She's seen the physical pain. She's had to take care of him. And, it, and it, she's close. She's the, there's another difference. She carried those ten children for nine months. She, she, it's different. And I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but as we talked about, she doesn't have the ability to not think about it. Job can be all in his pain, and she can't. She's still thinking about it. And she's seeing what is happening to him. And so in Satan's shrewdness, he leaves Job with a woman who is compromised in so many ways. But it's important for us to know that he doesn't stigmatize her. Job never, ever calls her a stupid woman. I think he recognizes what it's doing to her. And he's trying to keep her on the straight and narrow as well. He's trying to keep her in the same reverence that he has. And Listen, I can get through the physical pain myself. You can too. Right. And so, so I think that's that's important, uh, and, and that's the last we hear from from you know Job's wife. Maybe this corrected her. We, we we're going to get into uh, really the, the the friends from this this point on. So, all right, we'll close there.